Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and a lot of people think that this introduction is canned, but trust me, I do it new every single time. He actually does prove... 45 <laughs> takes. It's excruciating to sit through. And to prove that my colleague Ben Hunting has just uh, confirmed that I do it live every time. So, Ben, why don't you say hello to everybody and to tell them that, yeah, we don't say the same thing every time we start a podcast. Greetings, believers and non-believers. <laughs> Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and we have a lot of really interesting cars to talk to you about this week. And I hope you like sedans, because there's a lot of sedan talk. Isn't that right, Ben? That is that is extremely right. That is writer, <laughs> writer than anything you've said yet on the podcast today. On the podcast today, I'm about to I'm about to drop some real truth on you. Drop us um, some drop us some Valencia truth. I think that's what we we should lead off with. Sure, we can start off with the highlight, I think, is the trip to Valencia, which I took with Audi, and I drove the brand new Audi A9, which will actually show up next year, probably as a 2019 model. So Wait, A9? Driving? <laughs> A8, sorry. <laughs> For a second, I was really excited. I was like, wow, Sammy drove a car I didn't know existed and that he didn't tell me about before the podcast, just for the shock value of my reaction. Should I, but should I just, <laughs> just say that all over again? I no, no, no. 20, it, 2019 this, Audi A9. So obviously, I'm getting confused with the number. There's a lot of numbers and it one is. letter, which you can mix up the numbers, and but not the A8 and the A9. You but this humanizes you. I think, I think even more so than the revelation that the intro isn't canned. So... <laughs> So the Audi A9, uh, A8 is another um, flagship sedan that we can talk about. Uh, you might remember that I, dro- I talked about the Lexus LS. That's the LS500 and the LS500H, which is a hybrid version of that car. Um, and uh, I remember being pretty impressed with the, with the way um, it, it covers the driver. Every element of the car is, is luxurious, and the exterior styling is really in- impressive. And the car has a twin-turbo V6 engine. But the A8... Eight is dealing with the is dealing with that directly and is actually aiming a little bit above than the a little bit above the Lexus LS and is gunning for the other German competitors, namely the Mercedes S Class and the BMW 7 Series. So, what makes it so special? It has all this crazy technology that makes the car um, really, really carefree to drive. Is that what, the best what is, way to? What does carefree mean? It means that you don't – it feels like you're never worrying about anything when you're driving. It feels like the car is always thinking about what's going on um, instead. And actually to prove that, this is one of the first cars that will be available with true with true level 3 autonomous driving uh, technology. But not – but not – you can't activate this functionality because apparently it's illegal to drive a car um, autonomously. So, so wait, this is like the secret menu at In-N-Out Burger where you have to order the A8 animal style to get the level 3 autonomy? Kind of. So it, it does blow my mind a little bit that they made such um, they, they made such a big hubbub in Valencia about the, the fact that the car has all of the technology required to do what's called uh, to participate or to activate a function called traffic jam assist. Uh, basically, the car will follow the car in front of you, will stop and go without you needing to touch the steering wheel or the gas pedals. And that's a little bit different than the way we currently have adaptive cruise controls and traffic jam uh, systems. Well, Mercedes-Benz uh, offers that feature in the S-Class and has for at least three years now. But you do have to have a hand on the wheel for it to work. That's right. You don't have to you be have steering, to be. but the hand has to be there. And I think once it comes to a stop, it has a certain leeway, like you have to wait maybe five seconds or something. There's, a, there's a timeout. To... I'm not sure how long yeah. it is. 
So as far as I understand, level three will require, will require none of that intervention, and the eight, eight will be capable of that. Um, but so until kind of, until the the legal framework arrives, this kind of reminds me of you know Bart Simpson seeing someone do a backflip and then saying, "Well, I could do that too. I just don't want to." <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but the car actually has such an impressive array of technology that I'm uh, I actually think make it um, better for the things that flagship sedans are not known to be good at, uh, and namely, I mean, when you when you think of a flagship sedan, you think of a long luxurious road trip am i wrong it does that not seem like the perfect the perfect um situation scenario to have one of these cars for i i guess so i mean it's it's one of them that's for sure most of these i can see these being like perfect in germany or the high you know that really long highway trip like the autobahn at high speeds just super smooth but because of a number of uh of features that this car has it's actually capable of being really like like stress-free in the city um, and I'll describe that. Here's here's one thing. It has uh, really impressive rear wheel steering. Um, the rear wheels can can articulate about five degrees. Um, it goes both in parallel with the front wheels at high speeds to maintain the stability while turning up uh, while cornering at high speeds, and at low speeds it can turn opposite the front wheels to shorten the turning circle of the car. In fact, this car has a smaller turning or a shorter What's the right word here? A smaller turning circle than the Audi A4, which is the the entry level sedan, I suppose. So uh, you're saying I, if if you need to pull a lot of U-turns in the city, then this is the car you should buy. Yeah, I was really, and we did a, a bunch of U-turns, and uh, the Audi engineers were, were could remotely turn on and off this function. Wait, wait, wait. Those, do all the do all the cars have that feature? Like, what do you mean? Well, if I buy an A, you can turn on and off. The yeah, is there? is Audi capable of like remotely turning that feature on and off at a distance? <laughs> I don't think so. I think this is an engineering. You don't think uh, so, but you're not sure. No, I should have asked. You're right. Oh, that's terrible. Maybe it's a, it's a follow-up question. That's for sure. Quote, unquote, um, journalism, folks. You know what? I was, my face was too full with all of the, uh, the Spanish beef uh, from the night before during the presentation. So I apologize, dear listeners. Um, anyways, as a result, when the system was off, um, when the system was off, it could... It like those U-turns turn into a three-point turn, which is there, was. Is there a marketing microsite? Does Audi have like a, a U-turn microsite just for the A8s U-turns? That would be that would be, I would go to that site and I would load the Flash application. Is <laughs> what I'm see, saying. Which U-turn? Which U-turn in your everyday life can be enhanced? Exactly. Uh, which three-point turn in your life can be enhanced by the the rear wheel steering of the A8? And I would pay ten dollars to click a button that randomly shuts the feature off on some poor customer's car. <laughs> For a, for a duration of time, not forever. I'm not greedy. I know ten dollars doesn't buy me forever, but um, yeah, that, I mean, why not? I mean, if if Elon Musk can sell deposits on a car that doesn't exist a year in advance, then Audi can make some money off of this remote shutdown feature thing. <laughs> um, that's just one of the 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 parts of this vehicle that uh, that impressed me. The other one is the adaptive suspension. Um, it's a it's both like an electric um, raising and lowering suspension system and uh, the usual uh, air suspension. So those two work together. Wait, the when car you say will, electric, what do you mean? Like electric uh, motors that kind of – or electric sensor – or what was actuators is the word that they used that can raise the car, um, I believe, 12 centimeters. So uh, it's on – but it's on air shocks, right? The air shocks are doing the raising. Yes. Okay. And um, – the car can raise to greet you, pretty much when you <laughs> greet me. Get, yes, uh, when you're about <laughs> to get in to make to make entry easier. Okay. 
and also raises to get out. And I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast uh, when we were doing the Alexis LS. The LS also raises to let you in, but when you get out, it doesn't raise the same amount. Yeah, that's kind of funny. <laughs> and is I it like it's like being in you know like when you go on the International Space Station for a year, your spine it it. <laughs> It decompresses a little bit because there's no gravity, right? So it, you become taller. And I think that Lexus was like, these seats are so comfortable that after every trip, your your height is, has been physically changed and we no longer need to go through that step we took to get you in here. Yeah, yeah. Basically, that's exactly what they were going through. When I asked them, they came up with some garbage answer like, uh, it's apparently easier to it's apparently easier to leave the car than get in. So <laughs> what? That's like the least marketing friendly answer. The Lexus LS. It's easier to get out of than it is to get in. Or or Lexus. Some garbage answer. <laughs> Come on, Sammy. Well, they basically said that. That they did some research and they said the muscles needed to get in and out of the vehicle are are different and it's apparently easier to get um, out of the vehicle from the lowered state than it would be in the hot, in the raised state. Audi's engineers obviously didn't care and they just left the car at, at the same height. Every Audi time uses test in. robots. It doesn't. It you know like that's right. Um, or they or they blindfold uh, or they blindfold the testers and uh, get them in and out of the car to, to see if they notice any difference. Did you know it takes 63 muscles to uh, frown inside a Lexus LS, but only 50 muscles to smile? <laughs> so the other mo- mo- the more impressive thing. So yes, the the A8 raises and lowers as needed. But what it actually does that that blew my mind was. Using those those sensors that allow the level three autonomous driving, the car scans the road ahead, can detect any um, aberrations in the road. So like potholes, speed bumps, curbs, I don't know what you, you can see here, grates, you know what I mean? Um, and can pre-raise or, uh, or, or get the air shocks ready for that, um, for that obstacle. So again, welcome to three years ago with magic body control from the Mercedes-Benz S-Class. And so we got to test this with the um, with speed bumps. And uh, it really is amazing how the car stays so flat going uh, through this in um, uh, at at normal speeds, driving speeds. Um, And this can this will also help with uh, potholes as well. But the one final thing that this car does is um, in terms of those shocks is in the case of a T-bone, the car will detect the incoming, the oncoming accident um, using all of those sensors I was talking about before. It will raise the side that's about to get hit so that the strongest part of the car, which is apparently the, the, the part of the, the chassis that's between the, rear, the front and rear axles. Okay. That like sill, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's called a sill. <laughs> it, it will take the hit of the... And uh, apparently is uh, has a greater chance of keeping the occupant safe. And they actually demonstrated this to us by placing the car behind a glass barrier or a or a see through barrier and flinging some boxes at the car boxes? at like at like thirty or forty miles per hour. And it was quite significant. Um, and the car really does like it like tilts up. It's kind of like a cat that gets scared or like flinches in this way that just like whoa. And uh, it as those things come come closer so um i have have a follow-up question to this kind of reaction that it does what do you have to do to get the three-wheel motion in the car 
Like, the, what do you what what has what has do you have to take a sip of the potion and then like the car detects that and you get the three wheel motion? Is that how it works? The three wheel motion? What the heck you is that? You know what I'm talking about? You know, you hit the <laughs> hydraulic switches and you create your. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, connect I've the dots. To, I've been trying to I've been trying to figure that out myself, and it seems like uh, Audi has taken all the fun out of that, and uh, they are not letting you adjust and. Um, and configure the system and, and make it bounce. But it does look like it, it, it does look like it, it, the way those springs react, those air shocks react is quite significant. It doesn't quite leap off the ground. Like, you know, the, I don't know if you've ever seen the, the four GT enable its track mode. It also like activates very quickly and it looks like it just leaps into, into place. I haven't uh, seen that. No, it is very fast. And I, I feel like the A8 is just as fast, but, um, all of this is, uh, why don't you? Why don't we? Why don't we tell? Why don't I tell you how this car drives? How about it's, that? It's, it drives very smoothly. It drives very safely. What engine there, does it have? Is does it still have a V8, or are we are we in twin turbo V6 land like everybody else? We are in turbocharged V6, and there is also a V8. Uh, I believe that's turbocharged as well. Okay. Um, there's also a W12 motor available in some markets, as well as a mild hybrid. Is there? Uh, is the W12 coming to North America? As far as I can tell, not at this time or not yet. Um, and I always wondered about this because the A8, um, those two engines are, are perfectly okay. They're not, they're not mind blowing is, is my thoughts. They don't sound particularly great, which is a shame for a V8. Um, they don't well, feel, you know, turbocharging it's, it, it has a muffling effect. Yeah. And, uh, and off the line, the car feels really mellow. It, it takes off, but it never feels like, um, it's surprising you with the power until you look at the speedometer and you're realizing you're going so fast. And that's because the car is so isolated. The sense of speed is, is, is a, it creeps up on you. Um, I, I can't wait for an S8 model. I suppose that will rectify any of the concerns I have with the power delivery of this car. It might, but, or you might just have a more, a, a quicker version of that sensation. Right. Um, the steering is, as you might expect, really dull and lifeless. This car is not exactly for the driver. I think it's more for, uh, the people in the pack, in the back seats where they can enjoy things like massage seats, um, funky ambient lighting, um, reclining, reclining rear seats and, um, uh, some really, probably the, the most significant window shades I've ever seen on a, on a car. It really like lets out almost no, lets in almost no light. <laughs> But, you know, what you're saying about how the car drives, just how it's very isolated, I think that that's a, a great catch-all for modern luxury where you have mm. an isolated ride with a bunch of gadgets. And that's that's what people who are behind that Mercedes, BMW, Audi, Lexus, that's their impression of what someone spending six figures on a car wants now. And I don't think that's far off from what they want. Um, I have uh, I have family members who have um, some old Lexus models, and they Humble prefer brag. they prefer the um, they preferred the driving style of this of these vehicles, where it feels like the the wheels are not connected to the to the to the road. It, so you're saying? Just, no, go on. They just like the idea that there's no noise between the road and the steering wheel, that there's no feeling in their butts of the of the ash uh, of the asphalt. Um, it just it just operates independently from what's going on around so it. Are you saying that after three decades of German assault on North America's luxury market, that we have come full circle and are now back to extremely expensive 
big body Buicks just cruising down the road on a pillow of air with a velour interior and no one you could have a cocktail party inside the cabin and no one will know that you're traveling at 75 miles an hour it's just that 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 type of luxury experience is what people have wanted all this time and uh, and we took a detour into into handling land and <laughs> into seems, dynamism yeah yeah into dynamism and dystronicism it just seems so odd like that that's the conclusion it's like well you know grandpa's buick was pretty pretty darn right on the nail <laughs> it, you might be onto something that would be a really interesting thing to to wrap around but i mean there's a certain responsiveness that these cards have that those old cards didn't have i mean well, no, obviously i'm 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 painting with a wide brush sammy yes but uh, i do find that these cards are are not as fun to drive but they obviously hit the mark for um for the luxury car market um, the car also has about three screens in it. Uh, you know the virtual cockpit that usually sits in front of the driver. It's a very gorgeous digital dash. But there's also two touch screens uh, in, the son- in the center console. They're separated slightly, uh, and they're at like, different heights, different levels. Um, but they also interact um, independently of each other. So in normal operation, one is the infotainment system. The other one is the HVAC controls. And then when you need to enter in a destination on the navigation screen, that lower screen will turn into like a, a touchpad um, or a type type bang prompt. <laughs> or uh, or you can draw your destination there, which is pretty impressive. So I, I'm left-handed, and Audi's drawing feature is so hard to use because oh. it means I have to twist my body around like a crab. Oh, that's like how you do it. Yeah. You know who else is left-handed? Barack Not- Obama. Oh, yeah. And uh, Bill Clinton. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, George W. Was, was left-handed, too. And Ned Flanders. Ned Flanders. So all these people... Probably not in 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 love with Audi's handwriting recognition feature, which does work fairly well, and I understand why it's there. It's ideal for the uh, Asian markets where you have alphabet symbols that are, you know, it's just easier sometimes to enter them in with handwriting than it is to scroll around some giant screen. Uh, but still, you know, for that 10% of us who <laughs> who won't be buying this car anyway, it's kind of frustrating. <laughs> uh, there's also a head-up display, so basically you are like completely surrounded in in screens and displays of how fast you're going where you're going what you're doing you can never get lost uh, in these in, with with information in this car um i will admit unlike the lexus this car is not constantly beeping at you despite having pretty much the same safety features it also has a front cross traffic alert um that will tell you when somebody is crossing in front of you and it never inadvertently triggered while i was driving the vehicle um, putting it into reverse uh, also does not piss off the car and make it beep a lot. The car also has, you know, those sensors that like tell you how close you are to stuff around your vehicle when you're parking it. This car can like actually isolate how close your wheels are to something and will pre- help you prevent um, curbing your wheels on uh, on a curb. See, that's really useful to me because um, that's something I, I don't really have a problem. I, I, I like parking sonar for parallel parking mm-hmm. but seriously like curbing wheels is a real thing and and, and some of these wheels are like they're 20 inches big sorry they have yeah. a circumference of 20 inches <laughs> and they are uh really expensive to fix yeah <laughs> so anything that helps me not do that in the dark especially since where i live sidewalks are uneven and you don't always know like how much space you realistically have between the curb and the and the road so that i think it's in that technology isn't 
the, those parking sonar sensors, like that's nothing new, but for them to focus it on this aspect of parking, I think is a really impressive, it's a really good application of stuff that's already been there. And I think that's really smart on Audi's part. So uh, how much does it cost? I don't and have, you also okay. you also didn't mention power for the engines. Oh yes, let's talk about power. The six cylinder, um, it should make about. Let me see here. I think two uh, two hundred and two hundred and no, sorry, three hundred and forty, and the V eight will make uh, four hundred and sixty horsepower. And they're awesome. all both they're both paired to a six speed. I mean, an eight speed automatic transmission and an all wheel drivetrain. So that leaves a ton of room for an, an S8. Right, which should make over 500, maybe closer to 600 horsepower. Okay, yeah, okay. Especially um, especially when you consider that, you know, Audi has kind of, for Audi, S is no longer M. Uh, it's no longer the M equivalent or even the AMG equivalent, whatever that means, now that things have become blurry at Mercedes-Benz as well. Um, the, the S8 is going to go up against probably the 12-cylinder version of BMW's 7 Series, and the V8 version of the S-Class, because I, I, I don't know what the S-Class is putting out now, but uh, I believe it's more than 460 horsepower. Yeah, much more. Yeah. And the, they didn't give us full pricing on this, um, but the last generation model started at just over $80,000, so I would expect this to be somewhere around there as well. Okay. What do you think? Any other questions? No, I think that I think you've you've satisfied my curiosity about what uh, about it also has those ma- it also has those laser headlights um, and they kept calling it matrix lights or matrix LED arrays Whoa. as well and I always figured that was a great marketing term matrix lighting is is a neat way to describe anything I think yeah but the Wachowski brothers would be on your butt so fast with a lawsuit <laughs> uh, and I, I've got to admit I don't quite like the exterior styling of the A8 and it's the main reason the Lexus stands out so much. Um, because it's a very bold, uh, looking car and it really stands, it actually stands out in, on the road. Uh, maybe not as the prettiest thing, but it definitely, you know, will catch people's attention. And I think the A8 is super anonymous. It looks like a government car. It's, it's one sausage, three different lengths. That's how it's done these days. You know that. Mm Mm-hmm. Why don't you tell me what kind of sausage you had this this week? I have a similar sausage. Um, I have been driving a Mercedes AMG E43. Ooh, is, I, so you're forgetting the last – it's a Mercedes-AMG E43, right? That's exactly what I just said. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> no, and say it again. Is, say, wait, wait. No, what, what did I say? What did ben, I say? Because I've forgotten. In I this, thought you just said Mercedes. Sorry. In the 10 seconds between you repeating it, I just – it's I'm a blank slate. I what think do, I'm, I think the main reason I said that again is because it's so interesting to hear Mercedes-AMG – on non-V8 models and not range-topping models of the... Well, they've, they've made non-V8 AMGs for a long time, since the 90s at least. Uh, they they turbocharged a number of six-cylinder engines in this for the C-Class. Supercharged. I believe there was a turbo model as well. There was a C36, I think, was turbocharged, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. But, but in any case, the, the weird thing... The first mass-produced AMG, wasn't it? I, 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 don't, I don't know. I okay. don't think so, but I, I don't know. Um, well, that's that's an em- embarrassing display of our lack of automotive knowledge there. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> and a lack of consensus. And in any case, back to the car that I did drive uh, that is from 2017. The Mercedes-AMG E43? That's right. Well, thank you. I've forgotten again. Um, in any case, talking about weird branding, mm-hmm. Mercedes-AMG. 
first of all, that's weird because it used to be Mercedes-Benz, AMG, and then the letter denoting the, the vehicle, the model lineup, and then, you know, the numbers for what used to be engine size now is just it doesn't really mean anything no <laughs> um but but this branding thing they've done exactly what mercedes what, sorry what they've done exactly what bmw did with m which is you ended up with cars like the m240 and the m235i where or m sport models where uh instead of where you once would have had the four-cylinder entry-level model, then the the six-cylinder or turbo six-cylinder mid-range model, and then you might have a V8 model. These days, the V8 model is the M550. Mm-hmm. The uh, Audi, the S4, is the supercharged or turbocharged V6 now, whereas before that would have just been you know a 3.0T. They're just painting no, everything. Yeah. They're painting everything with this branding brush. Right. So whereas in the past, you know, AMG really meant something when you bought an E-Class. Now, in order for it to really mean something, you kind of have to buy the E63, which is the or the E63S, which are the t- turbocharged V8 versions of the E-Class, because the E43, it is a a three-liter six-cylinder engine. That is turbocharged. It puts out, um, I believe, 396, 396 horsepower. It's the same engine as in the C43 with a larger tur- larger turbochargers because it's twin turbo. <laughs> so you get 30 more horsepower about. And you get 384 pound-feet of torque. And you get all-wheel drive. Now, if those numbers, they're not blowing you away kind of numbers. And the weirder thing is if you really start to look at cars that offer the same amount of power... Mm-hmm. And similar performance, you're looking at like the BMW 540, which is again a mid-range model from BMW. It has 335 horsepower, which is you know it sounds like you know it's down 60 horsepower on the E43, but mm-hmm. uh, zero to 60, it's only 0.3 seconds slower, and it's only 0.3 seconds slower through the quarter mile. So that those has are a lot to do with the the emphasis that BMW put in the light weighting of, or at least trying to keep their car lightweight. I believe that car only weighs like four thousand pounds or something like that. Uh, it's entirely possible. It's entirely and, possible. And you know, you look at uh, another very interesting comparator for the E43 is the CTS V Sport, not the CTS V, mm. but just the CTS V Sport, which has about twenty five more horsepower. And it's a little bit slower to 60. It's the same speed as the 540. It does it about four and a half seconds. But on the quarter mile, it's it's right there with the E43. It's 12.9 versus 12.8. So well, I would have never expected the V Sport to be as to be considered slow. I always it, found that those cars to be quite fun and fast to drive. I'm not I'm not saying it's slow. I I think that's just very in quick. comparison. It's, well, it's also a rear-wheel drive car and not an all-wheel drive car. So off the line. It's traction control has to manage things a little differently, and you're probably going to lose a tiny smidgen of speed there. So all of this to say, E43 AMG, it's it's kind of I don't know. It, it's it's hard to think of where this lines up in the minds of buyers. I don't think people are cross shopping Mercedes and Cadillac in the midsize sedan performance segment. Um, I think that they're definitely cross shopping with BMW. But if you were to walk into a BMW dealership test drive a 540 and then you go to mercedes and they're like hey we have an amg for you that kind of sounds like they're upping the ante when in reality they're not the the power is there's more power and it 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 seems like you're getting a a more more of a sports sedan but it's it's kind of window dressing 
That's uh, that's really interesting. I always thought that AMGs um, were supposed to deliver not only a really you know emotional driving um, experience. They're supposed to be the the highlight of the range, and so that's what I think maybe they're 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 reeling in all of this brand value that they've built up with the AMG name, and now they they're delivering it in a car that sounds um, pretty okay. With like I mean, maybe not as not as good as old AMGs or M M five fifties or something like that, or but. Why don't you tell me what uh, what the driving experience is like, and what's the interior like? Is this thing very luxurious, or the thing it... I noticed the thing I noticed the most about the interior is mm-hmm. the windshield is huge. Like it, the A pillars are probably just as big as anything else on a modern car these days for crash tests and rollover, mm-hmm. but you don't notice them. They're way, way, way off to the side of your peripheral vision, which is very unusual for a modern sedan of this size. So I was really impressed by that. It's very easy to see out of, which is kind of bucking the trend of modern automotive design, which kind of wants to put puts you in a pillbox and makes it hard for you to look out either the side or the front. Um, the interior is nice. It's uh, it's definitely a set, step up from the C-Class. It lacks the materials, I think, to take it into S-Class territory. So I think that's a good decision by Mercedes-AMG, in this case, to, to differentiate the cars. The rear seat is reasonably well-sized uh it's got gadgets and gizmos like every other car in its class the the infotainment system is actually pretty decent except for mercedes has um kind of like audi they have that big they have like a rotary controller in the middle except they have their they have kind of a uh a triangle that sits over top of it and it blocks the buttons on on the far side so if you're the driver and you want to lean over to look at you have to you you can't just casually look down on the center console to see things like the on off button for the screen or even the uh, automatic start stop button if you want to turn that feature off mm-hmm. that's a little bit annoying but other than that ergonomically it's fine it has the terrible shift stock that all mercedes benzes have now and the tiny little vestigial tyrannosaurus rex arm on the side of the steering column that puts you in drive and you push it for park and it's super confusing and it confused me a number of times this week um i absolutely love uh, i mean i don't love that thing but i love the fact that after i drive in a mercedes for like a week or something and then i get into a new car without that i immediately just when i'm about to put a car into reverse i look over my shoulder and i just yank the the <laughs> the windshield wipers like down because that's where I expect the reverse to be or <laughs> the drive to be and uh, it's really embarrassing. I think you've it caught is... me. I think you've caught me in a car like that actually. I have. And and the camera that I have <laughs> in your own personal car catches you doing that from uh, time to time. Among the other things it catches you doing. But uh driving the car boy singing. Yeah. Yeah, thing. that's exactly it. It's definitely singing that's the most embarrassing thing you've done in your car. Um the when I'm with you. Oh, that man. Why'd you have to, that's in sync? I oh, think. Damn. Wait, wait, wait! That was a trick question. I wasn't supposed to know the answer. <laughs> there we so, go. Another aspect of the unnamed automotive podcast just reveals just how much we know. We, well, we how much we know about each other. And boy bands. And boy bands. Here we so, go. So I think that the E43, if it was a boy band, it would be the 98 degrees of. Uh, of boy bands because it's all about the invisible man it's just um you look at the car and it, it's handsomely styled but there's not mine's silver the one i'm driving is silver and there's nothing about it that stands out it's not you know past amg models and even current amg models they have kind of that aggressive arrow look to them mm-hmm. and that, i guess that's reserved for the e63 because the e43 is really 
it's got a few tweaks here and there, and it has nice wheels, and the grill is, it, I guess, kind of aggressive, but it's just a very, you could take this anywhere, you could drive this car to a funeral, and people aren't going to be looking at you like you're, you know, out, coming out of Fast and Furious, and it's, uh, it's, it's a very stoic car in terms of design, um, and that carries over into the driving experience, which is something I wasn't expecting. Oh, okay. Um... So you weren't impressed at all with this, with the with the sportiness of this car. Well, I'm not. I don't think it's a question of being impressed. I I just don't find it very sporty. It's it's quick, and uh, I guess you know earlier we were talking about the A8 and how it kind of feels like you're detached from the experience. There's really not much about the E43 that engages you on a daily basis when you're in sport mode or sport plus mode. I actually preferred comfort mode. I found it to be just the easiest to manage when driving around town uh you hammer the throttle and there's a little bit of turbo pause and then it goes and it's it's very comfortable to drive but i had the car in sport plus and this car comes with a nine speed automatic transmission which is, i believe is new for the e-class for this year okay um for 2017 any thoughts was, any thoughts on that in sport plus it's undrivable unless you're constantly on the throttle it the downshifts were so abrupt like if you're in traffic, let's say you're on the highway and you're in Sport Plus and you pull off onto a uh, an exit and there's a, tra- a traffic light and you, you're slowing down for the traffic light, it was physically jerking the car forward as it shifted down gears to get to one or two or whatever it wanted to be at. And I was really surprised because there's no other Mercedes-Benz that does that in my experience. Even uh, driving a car like the S63, which has a, a ferocious motor and a very aggressively tuned transmission when you're in Sport Plus, you do not have that experience. Uh, but more to the point, there was nothing really about the car that made me want to use the pedal shifters and kind of play around and have fun with it. It's 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 a midsize executive saloon. Uh, you want to tour around. It's great for road trips. Has good power, but it's it's not an engaging car. And I, I wonder at the wisdom of putting the AMG badge on a vehicle that's not an engaging car. Hmm. Can you ask me? Uh, can you answer me? If it sounds very good, because usually I've been in a couple of these six-cylinder AMG models, and I'm doing quotations when I change my tone of voice when I say AMG um, to to indicate that they're not real AMGs like the V8 versions. Um, what was I going on about? Oh, You're yeah. Does it sound, sound. Does it sound good? <laughs> because I remember that the old AM, the other AMG models, those 43 AMGs, can actually sound kind of impressive, uh, especially in that uh, 43 um, and you mentioned that turbocharged engines sometimes put a damper on the sound quality of the of the engine, and uh, this is the only case where I've I felt that that's not the case with those V6, those turbocharged AMG V6. And I want to know if you have any thoughts on that subject. Well, in Sport Plus mode, it's supposed to have a louder exhaust note, mm-hmm. and I put it in Sport Plus mode, rolled down the windows, and hammered it, and it is a little louder than the other driving modes, but it's not really. I mean, it it it, it doesn't provide a thrill gotcha okay so that 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 would be my evaluation i i'm not super enthused by the uh the exhaust note it's not it's not something i would actively seek out i wouldn't keep the windows down just to hear it okay do you think that these cars are getting too isolated to even appreciate for the driver to appreciate the um the sound quality of the of the exhaust any exhaust tuning that they've done that it's not Mm. for you it's for everybody else I, well, that's an interesting perspective for being for other people, but I don't think that the people buying the E43 care. I think that this is 
you know, Mercedes has changed the nomenclature for the car, but I think mm. the market has remained the same. And I think these are people who want a comfortable mid-sized car that they can put adults in the back and, and drive for a long period and not and not worry about anyone's comfort. So calling it an AMG, um, it, it changes the marketing, but I think the customer remains very much the same. Um, how much did this one cost? The uh, the E class, sorry, the E forty three starts at around seventy two five. So that's quite expensive if you're starting to look at other cars in its class. So we, were, we were talking earlier about BMW, and I believe the BMW is um, I, I don't know if it's significantly less expensive. I know the Jaguar XF XFS. If you want an all wheel drive version of that, that's mm -hmm. sixty seven thousand. So that's about a five grand difference right there. Yeah, for a similar performance, the Jag is a little bit slower. Um, it's 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 not, and and I when I say seventy two five, you have to remember that there are zero options, right? Like that's the base car. The base car does come with you know the best version of the infotainment system and air suspension and you know uh, automatic emergency braking, all the safety stuff, uh, parking assisting, uh, but it, you don't get the best leather seats you don't get the the best um i guess various features and doodads and and whatnot you can get a hundred thousand dollar version of the e43 is basically what i'm driving at interesting um would you take this car over the other vehicles in this class and what would you consider in this class i mean what what, what has more personality or what is more engaging because i think that mercedes is really doing a good job in the in the luxury space right now i think their cars are all tastefully done they have probably the best interiors um, and their engine and powertrains are, are really well balanced. But after hearing some of your thoughts on this car, um, I might have it wrong. So why don't you tell me what, uh, what you might take in this class instead? Well, it really depends on, on – it's very tough to get a midsize sedan that's engaging to drive these days from a luxury car company. That's really not their thing. It's – like I said earlier, I think the customer has decided that um, they're interested in something else. And as a result, you know, car companies are lining up to give that to them, and that makes sense. But uh, I like the XF. I think the XF is a an intriguing car to drive in that class, uh, and there is a significant price difference. If you wanted to really undercut the Mercedes, the CTS V Sport is, I think, ten thousand dollars cheaper to start with. And that is, you don't get all-wheel drive, and you can't get all-wheel drive, but you do get 420 horsepower and a very quick, um, you know, ride to 60 miles an hour, if that's what you're looking for. So not exactly an apples-to-apples -apples comparison. I think the interior in the Cadillac is not quite up to the level of the Mercedes, and neither is the infotainment system. But the driving experience is a little more engaging. The CTS has a very nice chassis. The the E43 has a very nice chassis, too, but it's a, it's a chassis that doesn't want to play with you, at least not in 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 this particular model's uh, configuration. I wouldn't take it over the... I, I would take the uh, Mercedes probably over the BMW because I just wasn't impressed with anything from the 540, and there's a significant power handicap. So I guess, you know, um, personally, the Jaguar for me, uh, if you're more frugal and want a similar experience, go for the Cadillac. I haven't driven the A7, mm -hmm. so I can't speak to that. But uh, it's in a similar pricing category. I don't think the power is there. So that would be an interesting comparison. Um, at $85,000, I would maybe pay, take a look, start taking a look at the Lexus GSF. But that's why, why are we at 80? Why well, are we how at 80, 80, you're, you're saying yours is what, 70? 72. 72. That's a lot. That's not. 
Yeah, GSFs are very expensive in that situation. Oh yeah, there's there's no no one should buy a GSF based on value. That that's car, true. You could buy a CTSV with 600 and some odd horsepower. Yeah, that's insane. For the same price as a GSF. I was just looking has... at I was just looking at alternatives <laughs> because the rest the the BMW is really nice. Um, but um, at the at the basic level, it's um, at around sixty thousand dollars, lacking some of the the features that you want. And then once you start adding all these gimmicks and features. Um, then it becomes a bit too much, and I think the one that we ended up having was was closer to seventy thousand, but it was full of all sorts of nonsense. That makes it a great value, though, right? But I guess so. But it's a, it's a soulless value. I mean, it really is. I I don't know if I called. I'm not saying the Mercedes is soulless. I think that's a little harsh. I I, did, I don't think it was built to have uh, a character. I think it was built for a different reason, and I can't I can't fault it for that. Interesting. I quite like the the. 43 AMGs. Um, I'm looking forward to driving the E-Class AMG to, to to see where you're coming from. But I totally understand what you mean in terms of it having not quite the appeal of some of the other mid-range vehicles uh, in its class. And, and especially now that it's an AMG, an AMG will stand for a mid-range vehicle. That seems so... It doesn't seem authentic. Is that the best way to put it? It's, it's definitely a break with tradition. And it's a break with tradition that's going to become more and more commonplace in the automotive market. Uh, as companies try to squeeze as many dollars as they can out of out of customers, it's, it's and I'm not saying that in a negative way. They're in business to make money, and I completely understand that. But uh, you have to be really aware of branding now when you buy a car. It didn't used to be like that. Maybe you go back 10 years, and German branding was not nearly as confusing. So uh, these days, AMG doesn't mean you're getting the fastest car on the lot or the fastest, even the fastest version of the car mm-hmm. that you're driving right now. You know, and, and that's that's a break with tradition. BMW has been going down that path for quite a while with M, so we're a little more used to it there. But uh, yeah, AMG might be the last domino to fall. Okay, while we're talking about, um, I guess value is the is the best way to put it. Let's let's drop the the tier here a couple of octaves. And uh, let's talk about something around $30,000. $30,000 is a really good, is a sweet spot, I think, when it comes to new cars. Um, and especially when it comes to new sports cars. Because Honda, uh, according to a report from Car Advice, Honda says that um, the $30,000 price point, uh, they would love to have a sports car somewhere in that territory. That would be really desirable for them. Well, That's no, what I'm, they say. I'm going to stop you right there because... As I've mentioned before in the past, it would be nice if Honda made a single sports car mm-hmm. anywhere in its lineup because currently it does not. Not not a single sports car. Nothing. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, they have a couple of hot hatches and a uh, – I don't know what we should dis- – how we should describe the, um, the Civic Si. Uh, it's, a, it's a lukewarm uh, <laughs> sedan. It is not a sports car. I mean, it's it. You can use words like sporty, but if you want to talk about you know the, the de- traditional definition of a sports car, you usually end up with a, a two door, um, or, or a convertible even, or a convertible. It's it, the purpose is exclu- It's not based on another model. Uh, you don't. It's not a sportier version. Like for the SI, you can get a base Civic right. that has you know it's an economy minded car. But sports cars are typically designed from the get go specifically to be interesting, intriguing, fun to drive, fast, um, engaging, all of that stuff. So Honda doesn't do that. The last time they did that was the S2000, and they got their lunch eaten by the Mazda Miata in terms of sales, and that's why they backed out of that market. Right. So it's you know and and. We're in a market now where Miata doesn't really do that well, and it's not anything to do with the car. It's just most people are not buying sports cars. They're buying SUVs. It used to be 
if you wanted to make a statement uh, about either your place in life or your your station at the company or wh- whatever it was, you, you could buy a Corvette or uh, an S2000 and, and show off that way. But these days you just buy like an X5. Um, I really like the, the, that you brought up the Honda S2000. I thought that's exactly what they should bring back because a lot of enthusiasts actually call back to that, um, get a call back to that car and say that this was the, that was the last time that Honda delivered something that the, um, that spoke to their sporting, uh, heritage, I suppose. And the S2000 has has almost a, a legacy in that way. People really look up to it. But you're right; it got it got it kind of got its butt kicked by the Miata, um, and it was a little bit more expensive. It definitely made a lot more power. Um, it was a lot heavier. That's for, that's for sure. And it wasn't easy easy to drive. Um, hmm. Honda made a lot of very Honda specific decisions when they built that car, and one of those is the infamous, you know, I believe it's what 8400 RPM or 9000 RPM redline. Yeah. So it was like driving a, a motorcycle, a two seat motorcycle with a roof. And the, when you drive, I, you know, driving an S2000, it's fun as long as you're thrashing it. And then when you're not thrashing it, it feels very pedestrian. And the AP1 chassis, the first version of the car, the suspension geometry was such that it had a tendency to, to provide you with uh, unexpected snap oversteer on a racetrack. And that also gave it a bit of a reputation. So, you know, all these things together, it, 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 it's a car that has a lot of personality. Right. <laughs> Um, and I actually, you know, when people used to talk about the S2000, I actually thought it was, uh, considered expensive, but now I just looked up the original MSRP and it really wasn't that bad. It was, uh, it started around $35,000, which, um, yeah, but 15 years ago, I'm, I was, yes, I'm looking at the 2009. So about eight years ago. Okay. 2009. So what else was $35,000 in 2009? I suppose an MX-5, a fully loaded, uh, MX-5 would have cost about that much as well. No. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. Um, okay, but let's talk. We, we we want to see a if you want to see a new a Honda sports car at around thirty thousand dollars, what do you expect it to be? I I really have no idea. I mean, Honda's built <laughs> they, they they've so backed so far away from from making performance cars. It's really hard to tell what they would come out with. I'm assuming that we would see some kind of turbocharged all-wheel drive car, which is unfortunate because. I I don't really see a market for cars like the car that you own, the FRS or the BRZ. No one's buying them. No one's buying the, the Nissan 370Z, which is an ancient design anyway. It's part of why people aren't buying it. But even when it was, even when it was relatively new, it, it saw the same crescendo and fall of sales that all two-door sports cars see. You get like two years of great sales and everyone's interested, and then a really long tail of just disinterest from customers. How do people? How do the Mustang and Camaro and the Challenger keep it together? Because they sell tons and tons and tons of V6 and four-cylinder models. Okay. And that keeps the numbers up. Well, it's, they, it's that, easy. They, they sell those in that twenty-four to thirty thousand dollar range. And that's, yeah, and the fuel mileage is way better, and you're not. It has a back seat, and you're not making a lot of sacrifices. You know, for it's it's a way to access the image of performance from Mustang. Mm-hmm. Uh, by not, you don't have to buy the the V8. You can buy the the EcoBoost, and people aren't. You know, unless they're train spotters and they're looking at your badge as you drive by, most people aren't going to care. So it's it's kind of a different thing. It would be like if there was a a V8 Miata. Uh, I think that they would. That vehicle would be sustained by four-cylinder Miata sales. I think it would be an outlier. Um, I don't think historically the 5.0 or any V8-powered Mustang has not been the sales leader for Ford. Okay. 
but it's kind of like the halo vehicle that brings people in yeah exactly and, exactly you get a piece of the dream gotcha so the mustang what if, dream what if this thirty thousand um the thirty thousand honda looked like an nsx what do you mean by look like? You mean like the, how the Fiero looked like a 308 GTB? Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what are we talking about here? Yeah. Um, had the same design philosophy and maybe mid-engined, um, kind of like an, a really a, a modern MR2. I don't think that Honda's going to build a $30,000 mid-engine car. I don't see that happening. I don't think that could... That's, that sounds like fantasy land to me. Well, I love do you think? Do you think, I... that, do you think that could happen? I don't know. I, I don't think it can happen at all. I mean, I, I read this report and um, I've seen some renderings of a baby, what was described as a baby NSX, which eventually turned out to be a literal fan- fantasy car that only exists in the world of Gran Turismo. So that really broke my heart. What can I say? Hashtag automotive journalism. That's exactly the way it is. Um, but, you know, we can talk about another weird uh, thing that happened in this kind of segment of sports cars. The... Toyota 86, um, the car I own uh, as the Scion FRS, and I hate to bring it up as, as some sort of fanboy of the, of the vehicle, which I do love it quite a bit. Um, Toyota is planning on bringing some kind of iteration of it to the, next, to the upcoming Tokyo Motor Show, which is happening in just a few weeks. Um, now, everybody wants more power in this car, right? Uh, well, they say they, they say they do. They say that's why they're not buying it. So yeah, maybe. So they brought so Honda. I mean, so Toyota comes out with something called the GRHV Sports concept, um, and they've made it presumably a more powerful 86. But they've done it by doing a couple of really weird design choices. First of all, it's going to have a hybrid system that's infused from the TS050 endurance race car i don't know what that means but um it sounds like it'll probably be a mild hybrid system something like um a push to pass functionality kind of like the crz the honda crz used to have oh yeah remember how many people bought the crz and how popular that car was yeah i can't remember it probably because nobody bought it and it wasn't very popular um but the other really interesting part about this car's powertrain is that it has a automatic manual fusion um, so you can drive this car basically like an automatic, any other automatic vehicle, just by punching in um, the D button, which is uh, the, the it's a push button transmission on the on the center console. You you hit that, um, and the car operates as expected with any automatic. But there's also a gear stick in this car. Um, so if you want to have a, a bit more of a traditional sports car experience, you can push this thing into first, second, you know, all the gates of a regular manual transmission and the car will change gears appropriately what do you think so it's i think it's a case of what's old is new again and uh we saw this in the 80s with the was it the lightning stick is that what it was called from um i want to say buick but i'm not sure that's right now um but it was a i believe it was a general motors vehicle and you had like a an automatic transmission that had three different lightning rod shifters and you would throw them in different patterns to get different it was an automatic but you would get different gears and it's the most confusing thing in the world to look at if anyone who's listening can can add us and let us know what that was called exactly i've never driven one and i don't see them very often anymore but it's it, there's always <laughs> It's so funny how car companies insist that no one wants to buy manual transmission cars and yet go out of their way to create a, man, a fake manual transmission version of the automatic. Like if, if people don't want this experience, they don't want it. Like why are you trying to simulate it, you know? 
Okay, I found something called the lightning rod shifter, and uh, it was uh, Hearst Oldsmobile thing. Okay, there we go. Yeah, GM. Okay. What on earth is going on with this? Thing? I know it's super. Ex- Imagine if like you you showed up to your driving test and you were 16 years old, and you opened the door and those three rods were looking at you, and like the the driving instructor makes no mention of it. He's just like, or she she's just like, yeah, get in, let's go. And you're like, uh, and she's like, I said, let's go, come on. And 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 but you fail your test, like right there. What is going on? Yeah, I think if you look at This on is YouTube, like the three shells in in Demol in what is the movie? Demolition Man. Demolition Man, yeah, it's exactly like this. This it's makes exactly no like sense. So it's you know, um there's probably some videos on YouTube of it in action. Uh, I assume there's a few Hurstolds out there that are still still mobile. Uh they were cool looking cars. I always liked the the G bodies, but um yeah, it's uh it's definitely something weird and I think that this is again this <laughs> <laughs> Okay. And I think I think this Toyota thing is again something weird. I don't think anyone wants it. I don't have anything against it. I like things that are different, so why not? Um, but yeah, I mean, come on, guys. Um, so twice in this podcast we've made reference to ancient GM products. I think all we need to tell you before we end this week's podcast is that um, all the new cars are basically old Buicks or, or Oldsmobiles. <laughs> so. Yep, and I, I spent and, and the weekend. Honestly, the 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 E forty three is just an old G, uh, Regal uh, GNX. G, is it GNX? GSX? I don't know where you're going with this, so you can decide. It's a turbocharged I'm totally six cool. cylinder. That's all it's got. There you go. Yes, every turbocharged V six can trace its lineage to a, 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 a mid eighties GM product. There you go. I, I spent the entire weekend driving a very old car on the racetrack, and I am extremely sore as a result. Uh, I was I was on the track for the last time in the Datsun this year, and uh, speaking of old technology, it has manual steering and sticky tires, so uh, the car it's it's not really a grip car, and there's a lot of correction that has to be done on certain tracks to get to get around on the quick line. And I woke up this morning and my arms are just like completely, it's like I've been, you know, pounding weights all night long and just like went to sleep with no stretching and just lactic acid city inside all of my muscles. And I feel completely worn out, but it was a blast. It was an absolute blast. And I, I didn't have a fake automatic transmission lever to like flip around or the three shells or anything. It was, it was all, you know, left foot and right hand. So there's, there's still a case to be made for, for some types of old technology, I think, just in terms of driver, driver engagement. Uh, I would have liked, you know, something like air conditioning, driving home the five hours from the track that night. Mm. But, uh, you know, you can't have everything. Do you recommend somebody get on track with an old car? It always seems like a very interesting um, contrast to what modern cars um, are like. Not, this, it, not that driving a modern car fast is, is hard or easy or it all depends on your skill. It seems to get more accessible performance these days. But well, there's more, maybe more reward in an older car. It, it, it depends on your definition of old, I think. Uh, the You know, the oldest Miata is 27 years old, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a pretty old car. And I would not hesitate to recommend anyone interested in driving on the track for the first time do so in a Miata because a low-powered, lightweight car will allow you to develop as a driver. You can't use horsepower to paste over your mistakes. Mm-hmm. You have to be very aware of what you're doing. Every mistake you make in a Miata... You're going to be noticing it in your lap time, and you're going to have to make it up on the next lap. You're not going to be able to correct it until you uh, figure out whatever corner was giving you trouble. But um, if you think you're going to show up at a track in a 40-year-old car like mine, or there's people there with even older cars, 
I would not recommend that as your first outing unless you're very mechanically inclined and have a lot of spare parts and are willing to go through the teething that's going to happen before you get everything um, sorted. I've had the track, I've I've had the Datsun on the track this year, two of the last four weekends. And both of those weekends are the first time since I bought the car that I've had nothing break. Uh, and I was able to drive home on my own power. I didn't crack a wheel. I didn't, you know, break break the cooling system. I didn't have something terrible happen to the car. <laughs> and, and it was just you have to tune those you have to tune those issues out over time. There's no there's no quick way around that. And uh, I think that you have to be really patient to have an older car at the track. I find it very rewarding. It's a very different experience from what I do every day in terms of driving brand new cars, which is why I love it. Mm-hmm. But I can't say I recommend it to beginners. Cool. Thanks for uh, thanks for sharing that with me. I always love hearing your your thoughts because you do have a little bit more experience in some uh, older cars, and your Datsun definitely is a gem. And I love that you're uh, you're sharing it right now. I, I should probably ask but, you more questions about it. <laughs> well, I think that I don't want I don't want to discourage people from owning an old car though, because driving an old car on the track is a very extreme thing to do, and you very quickly find the weak links on the vehicle. Driving an old car on the street is something that's totally different and much more accessible, and you shouldn't be afraid to do that. Uh, they're not as safe as modern cars, they're not as fuel efficient, and they're typically not as comfortable. But if you keep all of those things in mind, you'll enjoy them because everything else about them is is it's just another level of driving that you can't really access in a modern car. Um, you're more aware of what's happening, you're more involved with what's happening, and I think it's it's really it's a it's a rewarding experience. So just just you don't have to take it on the track. You can just take it down the street. You can take it to the grocery store. You can do whatever. There, there. People used to use those cars every single day in the 70s and 80s and 60s. You know, that's what they were designed to do. So don't be intimidated by them. Um, I've always wanted to get into um an old performance car, and um, maybe one day I'll make that dream come true. In- well, we're the sweet we're in the sweet spot right now. I mean, if you think about the 80s and 90s. There's a lot of really cool performance cars that are super cheap, uh, reasonably reliable, and inexpensive to buy. Mm-hmm. Where it's the golden age for that. There's a great rolling window right now of deals that are fun, and deals that won't break your wallet when it's time to fix something that breaks. So it's this is the time, Sammy, and I think you should do it. Well, maybe I can get some help from our listeners. Uh, if you see any, or if you have any very unique ideas, send them our way. Um, and why don't we tell our listeners where, how you can get in touch with us? Uh, for me, what? the easiest way to get in t- what's the matter, Ben? No, I was going to suggest that you do exactly that. That the easiest way to get in touch with us, I think, is uh, through Twitter. You can reach me at Sammy underscore Ha, like you're laughing at me, um, or you can get in touch with Ben at Hunting Benjamin. Um, in addition to that, if this is your first time listening to our podcast, you can uh, subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or Google Play Music. And um, you can check out all of our old episodes on those two services, or you can go to our website where we also post links and photos to all the cards that we're testing. Uh, you can find that at unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. And if you want to check out some of Sammy's work uh, in terms of what he does all day, every day, which is live and breathe and sleep cars, you can go to autoguide.com mm-hmm. and see his contributions there. You can check me out uh, at Roadkill, also at autoguide, autotrader.ca, and auto123. And you can go to my own website, benjaminhunting.com, which is updated with some of the more personal stuff that I do, as well as a kind of a living portfolio of where you can find me on the web. And listen, if you are a subscriber, if you're a, a frequent listener, please drop us a line, a little review, something that makes us uh, maybe some feedback. It goes a long way. We always try to make our podcast a little bit more interesting to support you guys who, uh, who are listening 
to all of our uh, our episodes. So thanks for listening, and um, we'll catch you next week. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody.